You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So, amazingly, it's just day one of the combine, and it's not even like the combine combine where people run the 40, which really doesn't even matter anyways. Um, but the amount of news that's been going on, it's incredible. Now, bear in mind, I also have been trying to take as many notes as possible for my NFL Draft YouTube channel, meaning every single bit of information about every single team, I've been stashing it somewhere, because for me it's all gold, so maybe it just seems a little busier than than it was. But lots of little tidbits, um, some news about uh, other teams that are relevant to us, some news about uh, some uh, draft prospects that could be relevant. And then a decent amount of Packer news. Um, so that's what we're doing today. I, you know, because things were happening so fast and furious, I tried to put my notes in some kind of order. But, um, you know, I don't know. Just going to be somewhat of a grab baggy kind of thing. But before we jump too much into the future and, you know, see what might be happening with trades and whatnot, I just thought it would be interesting if we took a, uh, a moment to see how Mike McCarthy's doing. So... Um, just wanted to take a second and check in with the old boy. What do you say? With his stepson on the team, Mike McCarthy has been a regular face in the stands at Notre Dame Academy's basketball games this season. However, his actions after a tight loss at Pulaski crossed a line, according to people at the game. And this parent chose to follow the officials um, and berate them, which is clearly unacceptable. Through an open records request, Pulaski School District provided us this security footage. There's no audio, but you can see a Pulaski staff member escorting the referees out of the gym with a man following behind. District officials confirmed the man is McCarthy. Uh, some things were said, some language was used that we we don't want uh, in our gym, unsportsmanlike language. Okie dokie. So, safe to say things are devolving quickly and that man needs a job badly. I really thought a year off would be a good thing, but... Um, it's kind of like when I when I get excited about four-day weekends. It's like, dude, this is going to be awesome. And on day three, I'm already starting to just, like, wander around. But day four, it's like, I haven't showered. I haven't shaved. I refuse to do anything. Like, I just, I can't get off the couch. Just miserable. Like, I've been stranded on an island for ten years. I just can't handle it, man. I'm institutionalized. I think McCarthy needs some work to do. Somebody needs to hire, we should, we should hire him back as a consultant. Not for the coach, necessarily, but um, what could he do? I'm trying to think of something we could all agree he did well. Maybe we could just let him handle the media? I know people in the media wouldn't like that, but it would allow him to get his frustration out. Like, if we let you in the meeting room, you, you can't talk, but you can listen to understand what's going on, and then when the media asks questions, you can yell at them. And make scrunch face. Oh, and sideline. I don't want you to make eye contact with any of the players, but for some camera time, you can just kind of make that face. That, you know, why are you the way that you are face? Slash, I hate you face. 
But yeah, so there's that. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Uh, before we get into directly Packers news, I want to talk about a few other things. Um, I'm a little bit late to the party, not because I didn't know, but... I've realized, not to say I won't, you know, say things quickly, but sometimes it's better to kind of hold off a little bit because you kind of have to pick. You can be first or you can be correct. You almost always have to choose because the first thing that gets reported is going to be wrong or at least to some degree inaccurate. What I'm first of all referring to is the John Ross news. So uh, Tony Pauline... Uh, had first reported that there was some talk about John Ross wanting to be traded. Later, Ian Rappaport said the same thing. The team came out shortly after and said it was quote-unquote fake news. Now, I'll be honest. First of all, I don't think Ian Rappaport is just ripping off Tony Pauline, although it's possible. It's a pretty cutthroat business, but I would assume if there's some rumors going around, Ian knows about it. And I do know that there are times, I know I'm sounding like an Ian Rappaport apologist, but I'm just saying, there are times he'll kind of sit on a story and kind of wait for some more developments and somebody else hears it, they blow it out there, and then Ian kind of comes out and he's like, yeah, I mean, I knew about it, here's kind of the details that I have so far. But he didn't just blast it out there because he was kind of waiting on some stuff. But now that somebody beat him to the punch, he's like, fine, I'm going to one-up you because I actually have more details on it than you do. But anyways, the way that Ian had phrased it was that there was mutual interest, meaning John Ross is interested in leaving and the Bengals are potentially interested in at least hearing out what some teams have to say. Um, we'll see. It's definitely not a slam dunk. Anytime you have the team kind of coming out saying, no, 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 this isn't going to happen, you have to believe that there's at least some inkling that they're going to hang on to John Ross and probably haven't really talked to John Ross about this very much. Because that's not how you want to find you know, one of your players who there's a good chance will be playing for you next year to find out that you don't want him, right? Similar to Randall Cobb and the Packers last year. A lot of talk about Randall Cobb wanting to go. Packers are like, nope, that's not true. A lot of Packer fans are like, no, these people are lying. They're not lying, man. It maybe was slightly overblown or slightly misreported by certain people, but people who are in the know are being told by people, yeah, I've had conversations, which include the Packers' willingness to at least hear offers. But anyways, a little bit more insight into that um, John Ross trade because I know a lot of Packer fans are interested. Apparently what had happened is last year teams had reached out and the Bengals were like, no, that's not going to happen. Actually pretty similar to what happened, I think, with Le'Veon Bell? It was either Bell or Brown. I don't remember. I think it was Bell. A bunch of teams were reaching out. The Patriots were one of them that were very, very active and the Patriots were like, no, nah, no, nah, not going to happen. 
Well, a year later, obviously, we see what happens. But anyways, Bengals now have a new coaching staff, so the thought process is that now there is some mutual benefit or some mutual interest. The new coaching staff kind of comes in and is like, yeah, maybe we should just listen. Now, here's the situation. Last year, Packer fans very interested in a guy like Khalil Mack. Packers were interested. They were making phone calls. They made offers for Khalil Mack. Who got him? Chicago Bears. Somebody else Packers fans wanted really bad was Allen Robinson. I wasn't as big on that hype train, but I know there was some interest in Allen Robinson. Who got him? Chicago Bears. Well, reports are right now that there is at least one team that is very, 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 very interested in John Ross, and it's the Chicago Bears. Now, I'll say that I hope against hope that the Bears get him. I really do. Because the Bears are just being dumb right now. By everything that I can tell, this is just dumb. Allen Robinson was dumb. Taylor Gabriel was dumb. They are already overpaying for wide receivers. Just in general, they're paying a lot for wide receivers, and they're not getting a good return. You want to add John Ross to that mess? An undersized, underperforming wide receiver with a massive injury history? With multiple knee injuries? And you want to add it to this team who, admittedly, the Bengals maybe weren't using him properly, but you know if you want to use him properly what that means, right? That means you have to send him down the field. And if he's going to be productive down the field, you're going to need a quarterback that is accurate throwing the ball deep down the field. And I feel like your quarterback is kind of trash deep down the field. So please, oh please, oh please, sign Mr. John Ross. The other reason I would be interested, and, and John Ross wouldn't be all that expensive, his 2019 base salary is $2 million bucks. His 2020 base salary is $2.798 million, so $2.8 basically. Beyond that, shockingly, John Ross is 23. So it's hard to say there's a lot left in the tank when he has that many injuries because, I mean, that, that ages you, right? A knee injury ages you. When multiple knee injuries ages, ages you. So he's not going to be a 32-year-old wide receiver. He's just not. But he's 23, man. That's kind of crazy. Um, to elaborate a little bit on why I'd be willing to let the Bears take him, as of right now, they have 11 wide receivers. Now, I don't know what's, you know, we can talk about some of their options as far as maybe getting rid of somebody they already have, like Taylor Gabriel. It's kind of funny when a friend of mine was asking me, what do you think John Ross would be worth? worth? I was trying to think, okay, what free agent guy would be a similar to John Ross type of guy. Taylor Gabriel came to mind, right? It was just it was just sort of that speed option for the Bears. So if they're really interested in John Ross, you almost wonder if it's sort of like, okay, Taylor Gabriel isn't going to be that guy. Maybe John Ross can be our Taylor Gabriel. Otherwise, you just have two. But as of right now, the Chicago Bears have 11 wide receivers. The average salary per year right now is $30.478 million. Now, not all of that is probably countered against the cap because we got the top 51. I don't know how many of these are $500,000 guys, but it's the second highest paid out position. Outside linebacker is the only other position that's paid more. And you look at that and say, well, that makes sense. You got Khalil Mack. That should be expensive. Why are you paying so much for wide receivers, man? How's that ROI going? The other reason I would be super interested is because allegedly... It depends when the John Ross deal would get done, what his compensation would be. So if it gets done now, his price is going to be higher. If it's done a little bit closer to draft time, his market's going to cool off a little bit. And if it gets closer to draft time, we're talking about late round, possibly a sixth. If it's going to get done, let's say this week, the compensation could be as high as a third round draft pick. 
Now, I can't imagine even the Bears would be dumb enough to do this, but I can't imagine something better than the Chicago Bears giving up their third-round pick for John Ross, regardless of the salary cap, regardless of how financially irresponsible, regardless of how that doesn't help your roster very much. I, 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 for those that maybe aren't following, following me, the Bears do not have a first-round pick. The Bears do not have a second-round pick. If they give up their third-round pick, their first pick in the draft will be pick 127. They will have a fourth, a fifth, and two sevenths, and that's it. I know the Bears did well last year. Matt Nagy did a good job with the offense. Vic Fangio has done unbelievable things with this defense. But I'm not going to offer up a huge amount of credit for their GM. He's had some hits, there's no question. He's had some some pretty good draft picks. But his management of his draft picks, his management of this roster, um, his 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 management of the salary cap, and I don't know specifically who's responsible for that, but ultimately buck stops here kind of thing with the GM. This is a nightmare. I don't know how the Bears aren't going to just collapse, and whether it's going to take a year or two years or whatever. They got no money. They've got no draft picks. And they're, they're talking about being aggressive in free agency? With what, dude? This is the time when you need to start, you know, tightening up a little bit. But yeah, please, for John Ross, the guy whose only accomplishment ever in the NFL came prior to him being drafted when he ran a 4-2-2. He's very fast. He can continue to be very fast. He's going to run past people. Granted, you know, safeties and all. But still, you know, sometimes you get behind people and there's not a safety. And if you get an accurately placed ball 25 yards down the field, sometimes you can kind of get in between the corner who got burned and the safety who's not there yet. That's true. If you can get a quarterback to throw that pass, whatever. I, I want much more than I want the Packers to get him. I want the Bears to get John Ross. I want them to trade a third or a fourth round pick. Just give them a fourth, and I will laugh in your face. I will never stop laughing in your face. I don't know. I just I, I, I heard Chicago Bears were real hot on the heels of John Ross, and my first thought was, oh, come on, man, stop trying to get everybody. And then the more I thought about it, it was like, whatever, dummies, please, please, please do it. Come on, Ryan. Come on, Mr. Pace. Just keep pushing. I want you to go all, all in. I mean, <laughs> you, it's going to take you a couple years to fix the all in that you've already done. If you push even harder, we're talking three, four years at a minimum. If you stop and start cutting and everything else and not even looking at the fact that you're going to have to sign Mitch Trubisky one of these years, or maybe you won't, I don't know. We'll see how that pans out. But if you want to tank this team for the remainder of Aaron Rodgers' years here, I, I'm all for that. Please go get a guy like John Ross for a third-round pick and, and up your average salary from 30 to $33 million a year. Four wide receivers who are not that good. Bunch of dummies, man. Um, something else that I heard, I just started, you know, one of the things since I joined this network uh, for the podcast is wanting to kind of network with some of the other guys, and I haven't had the opportunity to really reach out yet. Um, I know we've all been pretty busy, but I started kind of tuning into their podcasts to try to get an idea of kind of what's going on. It's a good benefit for the for me as a Packer fan, uh, as an NFL enthusiast, but especially for the draft stuff, I kind of got to keep my ear to the ground. But one of the things that was brought up, and I think it was maybe on one of the Jets podcasts, I'm not sure, 
But they were talking about John Ross, and the, the idea came up that they would rather trade for, or maybe, no, it was Antonio Brown, and they said they would rather trade for a guy like A.J. Green. And my ears perked up, and I said, wait, what are you talking about? Who said, who, wait, eight, what? Supposedly, not super, you know, it's not real big out there. You got to dig a little bit, but there's some talk. Not, not as far as rumors that the Bengals want to do it, or necessarily that A.J. Green wants to do it, but it's just one of those kind of, the Bengals need to strongly consider this kind of situations. And here's essentially how this breaks down. A.J. Green is in the final year of his contract. It's unlikely that he's going to be back next year. Now, the Bengals don't really need the salary cap. they got $51 million, and that's fine. But they've got a brand-new head coach, and this team is in full-blown rebuild mode, right? New coach, possibly talking about getting rid of John Ross. Andy Dalton's on the back nine, and there's no question in my mind one of the first things that this new head coach is, is wanting to do is find the quarterback of the future. But beyond that, I mean, there, there's a lot of guys who are very, very old and very, very expensive, and it would make a lot of sense and be really prudent to try to trade a guy like A.J. Green while you still have a contract for him and while his value is still very high. Because even at 30 years old and, and, and turning 31 this year, he's still a good wide receiver and he still offers short-term value. The, the base salary for A.J. Green is $12 million. Now, I don't know exactly what he would fetch. Um, I, 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 it's, it's not going to be a first-round pick. I can say that relatively confidently because, again, this is a short-term rental. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if any team is going to want to offer him what up, dance, powder. I don't know if anybody's going to want to offer him a long-term contract beyond this. And by long-term, what's it going to be, an additional two years? I don't know. But as quiet as things have been for A.J. Green, when you flip over to Pro Football Focus, and granted, he he didn't play a full year last year, there really has not been a drop-off in his production. The Bengals aren't very good. Andy Dalton isn't very good, and it seems to be getting worse. There's no help outside of A.J. Green. They're focused a little bit more on the run game with, with Joe Mixon. They're trying to get him mixed in in the run and the pass game. They do not have an offensive line. Their defense is aging and horrible. But just zooming in on A.J. Green, which is what Pro Football Focus does, is they're just watching him and his ability to beat that one guy or two or whatever. Here is sort of, let me give you the trajectory of him since 2011. 2011, he was good. 2012, he was very, very good. 2013, very good. 2014, very good. 2015, elite. 2016, elite. 2017, very good. 2018, very good. 2018, again, it was a short year, but it was actually better than 2017. At least it was off to a better start than 2018. But he has not had, I mean, his worst year was his rookie year. The guy's never had a bad year, ever. He, he's he's real good. His last full season was 1,000 yards and 8 touchdowns. And again, that's an Andy Dalton team. That's the Cincinnati Bengals with, you know, Marv Lewis, Andy Dalton, no offensive line, and no second wide receiver threat. Just A.J. Green trying to make magic happen. So you've got a quote from Gutekunst, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I guess we'll just jump into it now because it's relevant now. This is from, a, from Ian Rappaport's podcast. He did a sit-down with Brian Gutekunst. Uh, so it was a little bit annoying that he decided that he's going to utilize half his time with Brian Gutekunst to discuss quarterbacks because these guys are just obsessed with quarterbacks. And as a Packer fan, that's boring to me. And it also drives me nuts if I may take a little segue into ranty town. I don't like the way they cover pod or, uh, the draft. And by that, I mean, why don't we 
talk about what's right in front of us. In other words, when we get to pick 30 and the Packers are on the clock and it's finally happening, and we've literally been waiting for two and a half hours as Packer fans for this moment to talk about the Green Bay Packers who are on the clock. Let's talk about their needs. What are they going to do? They're still talking about the pick at number two for that quarterback. Let's talk about the Jets and how they took a quarterback. And isn't this the most amazing thing? Dude, Packers, talk Packers. And then they draft a guy and it's like, oh, let's show a highlight reel. Yeah, you know, he's really good in this stuff. Anyways, about that quarterback, this is amazing. It's like, you know what, man? You guys are horrible at this. And I hate all of you. And you have ruined this for me. But anyways, Ian Rappaport uh, wanted to jump right in there and say, Hey, Goot, tell me for the next ten minutes about your thoughts on Kyler Murray and the quarterbacks. Anyways, that drove me nuts. But here is a quote that is actually somewhat relevant that I really appreciated. Because, as I've said in the past, usually you take everything that they say with a grain of salt, but there is an expected line for every single question. Anytime you deviate from what is expected, my ears kind of perk up. So anyways, here is that exchange. You have been different from Packer executives in the past, a little more aggressive, a little more fun for those of us who cover this. How aggressive do you think you guys are going to be in, in free agency? Yeah, I think, um, I think we'll be really active. I'd like to be really active. Uh, it's a small market. You know, free agency is always a small market, so we'd like to be part of a lot of the conversations. And when the opportunities present themselves, you know, if they can help us, I think we'll be ready to pull the trigger. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm excited to get to it. Obviously, um, uh, the draft is how we build our team. That's, that's kind of yeah. the foundation of it. But I think our team is ready, uh, you know, to, 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 to kind of move in the free agency um, areas a little bit more than we have. I don't know why this dumb thing refuses to record in stereo. But anyways, if you sometimes walk around with one earbud and you're just hearing blank, don't message me and say, hey, this isn't working. Just put the left one in. I have one of those that's left and right, and sometimes that happens. But anyways, most of that is kind of boilerplate, and we kind of heard a little bit of this yesterday, but the, the tail end of that is what I really found interesting. He said we want to be more active than we have. Now, maybe that's just an extension of last year, because la- you know if we're going back to the Ted Thompson era, and he's just re- referencing that and saying we need to be more active than we have in the past past, then we're maybe just looking at you know 2018 all over again, which was about the right amount of aggressive in my mind. It's aggressively pursuing everybody, but not just going into crazy town where we overspend for people. If he's referencing 2018 and he's saying we're going to be more aggressive than we have, meaning more aggressive than that one year that we had, it's going to get real crazy. Like, the the only step forward is we're willing to get in early. Because remember, early is when people overpay. The early days of free agency is you call up, you say, okay, we want to pay like 12 million bucks for this guy and that's it. Just random number, random player, whoever it is in your mind you think is worth 12 million, this is what we want to do. Or in the case of a trade, okay, we'll offer up a third. Well, that's kind of the starting point and then it spirals up and it gets out of control. A third becomes a second, becomes a high second, becomes a second and a conditional fifth. And the Packers are like, well, we kind of had a value that stuck out and we want to stick to that. Or 12 becomes 13, 14, 15. It's like, well, he's clearly not worth that. The only step forward for the Packers is to start looking at those and say, that's not a good value, but we're just going to do it. We have the money. Let's just do it, man. It's not fiscally responsible, but we can kind of make it a short-term thing. Let's just, let's just get, a little, let's get a little crazy with it. Maybe we'll get funky this year. I don't know. Atomic dog style. But either way, getting back to what we were talking about, A.J. Green would be one of those things. It would be one of those aggressive moves. It would be talking to, by the way, 
Lafleur's ex-colleague, not that Lafleur or Zach Taylor are going to be the ones making these decisions, but they're going to talk. They're going to shake hands. They're going to be like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, you got a new job. I do too. It's crazy, right? Whoa. But you kind of understand the inner workings of the organization. Conversation kind of steers like, hey, man, we're really kind of interested in this. What are you guys doing over there? And they're like, yeah, John Ross. And it's like, yeah, yeah, John Ross. Yeah, he's really good, right? Hey, um, what's going on with AJ Green, bro? Start putting sales pitch on him. Like, I don't know, man. He's pretty old. You guys are in rebuild. We, we, I mean, we could use him. If you're going to fix this team, you're going to need, uh, you know, free up some space, get a younger guy, long-term contract. We'll offer you some draft picks. Good compensation. Real good. Best compensation, man. A number one compensation, brother. Just put the bug in his ear. He can take that back to his GM. They can talk about it. Go back to Goot and be like, look, man, I greased it up. You got to close this thing. Because that'd be scary. Because A.J. Green is still scary. And if we're going to talk about 30-year-old Antonio Brown and not even consider talking about 30-year-old uh, A.J. Green, I mean, come on, man. I mean, Antonio Brown is better, that's true, but we're still talking about a top-10 wide receiver, a guy that's, you know, on par with Devontae Adams, but also a kind of a different skill set. I, I don't know, man. If we're going to get aggressive, that'd be pretty aggressive. I'm just saying. I don't know really what I'd want for him, but the fact that we're going to be paying a lot for him, the fact that he's 30 years old, the fact that he's coming off injury, I don't know. Just thought I'd just thought I'd feather that in there for you as a thought. But really, I mean, the, the options are you're either planning to extend AJ Green or you should cut him. And I know that's not how teams think, but really, get value for him while you can. Because if you allow him to walk next year in free agency and get nothing for him, you failed. Either extend him or trade him. Do it this year. And if he says no to an extension, he doesn't want to stay here. Then that tells you everything you need to know. Just my two cents. Uh, some other news, uh, I know some people are still not giving up on the Odell Beckham thing. I said a while ago, it doesn't make any sense. I just saw recently, I didn't read the article or what they were talking about, but somebody had said that the Giants are still open to it. The last I heard, GM Dave Gettleman went up to the podium before any questions were asked, and he's opened with a statement that said, we did not sign Odell Beckham long-term just to trade him. That makes it, they, again, for the billionth time, they just extended him. This isn't like Antonio Brown where we offered up or, you know, we restructured his contract in a way that would hurt us to get rid of him and then he just decided I'm not playing here anymore. As far as I can tell, Odell's fine staying in New York. The Giants extended him because they want him to stay in New York. What in the world is going on? The only thing I can think is if they're determined to trade up to get a quarterback, but no, man, it just doesn't make any sense you know, contractually it doesn't make sense. They're not going to be saving any money, at least not this year. So anyways, I don't know. If, if you're not off that bandwagon yet, you might want to get off. Uh, apparently they're also in talks with Landon Collins. Not that that means all that much, but they are uh, trying everything they can to bring him back. So they're not super willing to trade him. It may come to that anyways, but um, as far as the Giants are concerned, they have no interest whatsoever in dealing Odell Beckham and no interest whatsoever in dealing Landon Collins. Uh, kind of circling back to the Chicago Bears, as I said, one little tidbit. They did actually get to free up a little bit of extra cap space, um, $2.9 million, uh, in order to restructure Kyle Long's contract. Essentially, they converted it into bonuses and stuff. I don't really understand that. And I don't really understand exactly what kind of bonuses. Um, I guess it depends. But generally what this is going to mean is that they're going to redistribute the money later on. 
And again, for anybody who wants to talk cash over cap and how the cap isn't real and all this stuff, come on, man. Again, I don't know the exact structure of this, but let me just kind of break it down to the best of my abilities. Essentially, his base salary dropped from $6.9 million to two point five. Now, on its face, that's kind of crazy. Like, whoa, you can just go ahead and do that, right? Well, the total cap hit only went from 8.5 to 5.6, and the reason is what they did is they took part of that money, then they chopped it up into pieces and distributed that, and some of that money that they took away this year, they added back on this year. They just added it as a bonus or something. Maybe it was a, some kind of a signing bonus, so he's just going to get it in cash. I don't really know. But he's already got $1.5 million in bonuses this year and next year. So just to kind of do some basic math, if his, if his base salary is 2.5, and he has a bonus on the books already this year of 1.5, that brings us up to $4 million. Supposedly, the total cap hit is 5.6. So to get from $4 million to 5.6, we got to add 1.6, meaning of the um, 2.9 that they saved, 1.6 of that is going to be added right back onto this year. So that leaves $1.3 million of freed up space that needs to be accounted for over the next two years of his contract. If we add that money all next year, we're looking for Long to be on the books for $10.9 million this year, $8.9 next year. If they count it all in 2021, he's going to be $9.6 million next year and then $10.2 million the year after that. If he splits it evenly, he's going to be paid out $10.25 million next year and $9.55 million the year after. Now, it's a small example because it's very little money anyways, but that's kind of my point. We're freeing up a lot of money now because we need to free up a lot of money now, and the reason we need to do that is because we've misallocated funds. Anytime you got to touch somebody's contract, something went wrong. That's just, that's just the way it is. It's not about being creative. Something didn't go as planned, and that, and that has to happen. You can't get it perfectly right every time. In a perfect universe, essentially what happens is you decide exactly how much money you want to allocate to each position based on how valuable that position is. Then based on that money, you get that exact amount of, of return from that player. In other words, so we, we average out, let's say, $8 million for our wide receivers. And we got one guy, we're paying $12 million. It averages out to 8 whatever. And we get exactly $12 million worth of value for that player. That's not how it works, though. Occasionally you get a guy, for example, like Nick Perry, who you pay a lot of money to and you don't get that. That is inefficiency in your cap. You're allocating too much money to a player that doesn't deserve that money. Meaning the production you're getting per cap dollar is too low over in that Nick Perry region, meaning you have less money to allocate to talent elsewhere. The other form of inefficiency is dead cap money, which means you mismanaged your cap. Acknowledging fully that it has to happen at times, this isn't the Bears being intelligent. This is a this is a casualty. This is a, a thing that is going to f- not even fix, but help a problem they created by creating further problems down the road. Kyle Long is already slipping into mediocrity. And even if you want to look at it and say, okay, we're paying him, you know, our, our cap hit for him is $5.6 million. You could say that that's a reasonable price for him. The problem is next year, he's going to be a year older and a year less good. And if we just look at the averaged out version of this, we now have a guy that's not very good that signed for $10.25 million and $9.55 million. And beyond that, this is money that has to be paid out. Not that it necessarily touches the guarantees. The guarantees stay the same but it's going to be counted against your cap. So even if, let's just say, and I don't think this is the case, but just as a hypothetical, let's say the the guarantees are already burned up. So if we were to cut him today, we owe him nothing. The problem is if we do something like this, we take the money, we chop it up, and then we re- redistribute it over the next two years, and let's just say it's a million dollars over the next two years. 
Well, the guarantees and nothing actual cash-wise in terms of money that I have to pay you, nothing changes. However, we have to pay that money in the salary cap. And if we cut him, that money all accelerates into the current year, and that $2 million remaining on the cap has to go on this year. It gets counted as dead cap, and that's $2 million that you've wasted. This isn't just free. I get so tired of people talking about, all oh, the cap isn't real and all this. Yes, it is. It's real money that has to be accounted for somewhere. And just because you made it disappear this year and we pretend we don't see it next year, that's not how it works, man. So by next year, what do we have? We have a guy who is basically a washed-up guard that we have on the books for $10 million over the next two years. Essentially, what's going to happen in this situation, because I, I, I did look it up, prior to doing this, if they decided to cut him next year, they would only owe him the $1.5 million of prorated bonus. So in other words, remember when I said that he still had $1.5 million already? This year and next year, that's all they would have to pay because all the guarantees are paid out. So this bonus is all they'd have to pay. They would have a $1.5 million cap hit. The, the rest of the $8.1 million would be completely off the books. Now that $1.3 million that they magically may disappear if they cut them next year, that gets added onto the $1.5, and a $1.5 million dead money cap hit becomes a $2.8 million uh, cap hit. And instead of saving $8.1 million, we're only going to save $6.8 million. The money showed up again. Money doesn't disappear. It reappears somewhere else. I'm, I'm hoping at this point anybody that listens to this podcast fully understands, because I know there are other prominent Packers podcasters that would disagree with this. I want you to understand those guys are wrong. The Bears didn't just fix the problem. They just pushed the problem off into next year, which is fine with me because they haven't fixed their salary cap issue. They still don't have a lot of money but they do have less money next year. So the, the, the odds of them having no money this year and no money next year just went up a little bit. So anyways, I'm, I'm actually glad they did it. For, for me, I tend to look at the other, the other direction. I'm, I'm already looking at the, the Packers' salary cap and saying, why don't we use that money to fix our future problems? Right Next year, again, Devontae Adams goes up to $16 million. Aaron Rodgers gets paid like $32 bucks or something crazy. I don't know if that's what it is, but it goes up a lot. Beyond that, we got Kenny Clark on the book. Why don't we use some of that money now? I know everybody wants to just use it to blow up the salary cap and then push that into next year as well by signing a bunch of people. Maybe we use a little bit of this money now to, to alleviate some of the pressure in the future. Whether that's signing Kenny Clark to an extension now and paying him out big this year, rather than what most most teams do is saying, we're going we're gonna to pay you a lot. We're going to pay you $20 million a year, but only pay you 10 this year, and then jack up the price and hope that the you know 3% increase in the salary cap every year is going to compensate for it, except it won't. Let's just pay the man his 20 this year, and then next year when we owe him 20, we'll have a little bit of extra room in the salary cap. Not very much, but you know if it goes up 3% or whatever, or if you know these gambling things start to kick in, there's going to be a huge boon to the salary cap. I don't know. I'm just saying. Any team that wants to sacrifice the future for the present is just doing it wrong. And almost every team in the NFL does that, and it just makes me insane. Um, getting into specifically Packers news now, uh, there was another report that I had heard that uh, the Packers are planning to cut ways officially with Cole Madison uh, relatively soon. So in the next week or two, um, that is expected to take place. Doesn't really have super big implications. Um, just, just kind of a, a sad chapter, I guess. Uh, I think it is going to offer up a little bit of extra cap space. I mean, not really, because nobody was expecting him to be on the team. But his cap hit was supposed to be about $651,000. And I tend to think that's going to push him into the top 51, so this will free up, you know, hundred grand or so. But anyways, hopefully that guy's doing all right.
but uh, keep an eye out for that one. Uh, other talking points as far as the press conferences, because Gutekunst and Lafleur both went to the podium. Uh, there was a lot of questions about the running backs and the thought process behind Aaron Jones, and it really doesn't sound like Aaron Jones is going to be a feature back. And I know a lot of Packer fans are upset about that, but the, the two biggest things are Aaron Jones's injury history. I don't think he can handle it, and I've been saying that for a little while now. It's not even so much that, you know, because of his injury history, he can't play at a high level. I just think he needs to be on somewhat of a snap count. It's it's just his build. He's not built to be a 20-carry-a-game guy. Uh, the One of the quotes from Brian Gutekunst was, Aaron Jones is a difference maker. I want him on the field as much as possible, but a lot depends on what he accomplishes in strength and conditioning in the offseason. If you look at what Lafleur had said about it, he says the running back is one of the more violent positions in the league with the punishment those players absorb. I believe a committee approach is the most effective regarding Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. So what can we glean from this? First of all, Aaron Jones isn't going to be getting too many more carries. Now, he may overall get more carries because if we run the ball more, he might end up getting more carries, but it's still going to be a committee. But also, I would assume that the Packers are absolutely 100% either going to be getting somebody in free agency or drafting someone based on the way the drafts are going. If you haven't gone over to the draft network, go do it. Go do a Packers thing. What you'll find is by the time you get to the sixth round, you're going to have a list of players, and out of the out of the top 20, probably 17 are going to be running backs because there's just a massive bottleneck that takes place and all the top players are running backs and because teams aren't just going through going running back running back running back running back running back they can't keep up and it creates a bottleneck in other words if that's even remotely accurate with the amount of of talent and that has been talked about quite a bit the amount of you know top tier running back talent isn't super high which is why nobody's really talking about it but that mid tier talent there's a ton of it the odds that the packers take a running back and let's say the 5th round and getting a potential third-round talent at running back is extremely high. Beyond that, somebody laid out um, on Twitter some of the, the weights of these guys, and he made a list of running backs that came in over 220, and I just had to laugh. Because it just reminded me of last year, the running joke that I had going, of every time somebody picked up a running back, every time Gutekunz picked up a running back, what was he? 5'11", 220. Right, maybe 5'10", maybe 5'11", but he was in that range. Maybe it was 220, 222, 225, but somewhere between 220 and 225, everybody. 5'11", 220, that was just what he did. So his ability to find that 5'11", maybe 6 foot, maybe he gets a little crazy, but 220, 225-pound guy, I mean, there, I just, I, there's no way we're not going to get one. There's no way. So, so the question going forward that I'm going to be looking into is, who's it going to be? So I need to do a little bit more work in terms of finding out maybe some preferences for Lafleur, some of the guys that they like. I don't know if it super matters. I think sometimes we look a little bit too much into that. They're kind of, anytime you get these guys to the podium and you start getting super specific because we start talking crazy stuff like, you know, outside zone, what specifically are you, give me exact attributes, like how tall and how fast and what does this three cone have to be? And every single time they're like, I don't know, man, I just want a good football player. So that's probably what it's going to come down to. But I'm going to want to look into that a little bit because there's just, there's no question that that's going to be a thing. Something else that came up and um, I'm thinking it's probably not necessary because of all the, the amount of stuff going on in the draft, but supposedly the Bears are looking to shop Jordan Howard. I don't really see that as a necessary addition, but I mean, if, if, if they trade him, I, I guess it just depends on compensation. I'm thinking they're going to want something that's too much. 
right? I'm, I'm already looking at we can get a potential third-round guy in the fifth round. That's just, I'm kind of randomly throwing that out there, but I think that's fair to say. I don't know that I'd get a lot of pushback on that. So if they're shopping Jordan Howard, who, granted, he's 24 years old, he's still on his rookie contract, so you get him at a base salary of $720,000. There's a cap hit of, of over $2 million, so I'm not exactly sure how that plays out because the only other money I can see on his contract is $62,000 prorated bonus, which the Packers would not have to pay. So I don't know where that comes from. But anyways, from there you could offer him a long-term contract, but the bottom line is he's not that good, right? He kind of broke out in his rookie year. A lot of talk about, see, you don't need to go early. You can get a guy that's all this, you know, he's good and great and all that. And then 2017, he kind of fell off. 2018, he was kind of brought in, and it's like you got to learn to be a better this, that, or the other, you know, you got to be a better receiver. That didn't really pan out. I don't know. It just, it just didn't really work out for for the Bears and for Matt Nagy in particular. It just doesn't seem to be what he's looking for. But um, overall, I mean, if we just look at 2018 and what he did, he had a stretch looking at his grades here. From week four through week 16, he had one game against Buffalo that graded out as good, two games that graded out as average, and nine games that were below average to bad. So, I mean, if, if we're talking about a sixth-round draft pick for a guy like Jordan Howard, it's, you know, maybe, maybe, because you kind of at least know the floor that you're getting. And he is a really good pass blocker. There's no question about that. That's his one steady, solid attribute. But I, for me, it's a no, but it came up, so I figured I'd mention it. But anyways, yes, I absolutely expect the Packers to be drafting at least one running back. Uh, to, to further elaborate on that, and it, it, if you want to make a case for the fact that it could actually be earlier, like an earlier round running back, here's another quote from Lafleur, not very different from what we've already heard, but here's the quote that we've been hearing from him. We really want to assemble our offense through the run game. I think that takes a lot of pressure off the quarterback. Um, a follow-up was asked about that. You, you know, Does Aaron Rodgers want the pressure off him in a run-oriented offense? And Matt LaFleur's quote was, there will be plenty of opportunities for him to shoulder the load on third down or in the red zone, but it's more or less on first and second down. We want to create explosive plays, which I find to be hilarious. It's so, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like a lot of us are kind of like, yeah, I know you like to run and stuff, but I mean, you're not actually going to run the ball a lot, right? Because you got Aaron Rodgers. And then he goes on to elaborate here, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, no, Rodgers is going to be huge on third down and stuff. And, like, when we get to the red zone. I'm just talking about those few times, like, you know, first and second down. That's when I want to focus on, like, the run and stuff. You know, first and second down, which is the vast majority of times that the Packers are going to be on offense, it will be on first and second down. Granted, hopefully we do make it to third down, because there's not an interception or something. But still... At the very least, double the amount of first and second downs as third downs. But, I mean, it, it's no joke, man. It's no joke. And if, if LaFleur is dead serious about this and it's like, we need a run game, and all we have right now is Aaron Jones, and I, I acknowledge he's amazing, but he's not going to hold up. He's not going to be our, our 15, 16, 17 carry guy. He can't handle that load. we got to keep him down to 10 to 11. Okay, that's not enough. What about Jamal Williams? Um, I love you, but no. Right? You can get mixed in, that's cool, but no, I don't want him getting 15 carries. He should be getting less than Aaron Jones, so what are we going to do? And if we do wait until the sixth round and we get a guy that's, you know, Jamal Williams or lesser, let's just say, what are what is our run game going to be? When we talk about how our offense is predicated off the run and, and everything works if the run game works, well, if the run game doesn't work, nothing's going to work. 
That's pretty basic logical deduction there, meaning it's got to work. And, and, you know, a lot of it is going to be coaching and getting the offensive line going. And as long as Aaron Jones is healthy, I don't think anybody has a problem. But as far as a strategy going forward, I don't think we can depend on, don't worry about it, we'll give Aaron 15 carries, we'll give Jamal 10, that'll be 25. We'll, we'll have, we will have run the ball a lot and everything's going to be fine. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if Jamal is the best option for 10 carries, what he gives you with 10 carries. I don't know if Aaron can handle 15 carries. I mean, it, it really is a tough, a tough question. I really can't imagine them going earlier than third, but if it is that important and somebody that is, you know, if we're talking about a potential second round talent in the, you know, early-ish third round, maybe. I mean, Le'Veon Bell and Eddie Lacy were second round guys. I feel like they were pretty good running backs, but it's no joke, man. It's no joke. And the, and the Packers, from Gutekunst's standpoint at least, as well as Lafleur's, seem to indicate that they're, they're, they're not satisfied with just saying Aaron Jones is our guy. He's a guy. Jamal Williams is a guy, and we have two A guys, and that's not enough. Um, when asked about his approach, now that we have a new coach, Gutekunst said not very much is going to change. A couple minor tweaks. I really don't get that. And I, again, it comes back to that standpoint of we tend to analyze things more than it seems like GMs and coaches do. I don't mean work harder. There's no question they work harder than us. I just mean we, we maybe overanalyze. So from my standpoint, I'm looking at it going, I, I want scheme fit, I want this, I want that, and even what the conversation I just had with you a second ago, which isn't a conversation, but I'm going to pretend it is. It makes me feel better about my life. Talking about what kind of running back and when we take a running back. It seems to me that the, when, when the GM says something like, we just want good football players, it's not just talk. He went out of his way, as almost every GM has in the past, to say, I make the picks, and it's based on who's a good football player, and I don't really think about this out of the other. If, if LaFleur is adamant, it has to be this, it's got to be this, I need this guy, you know, similar to what we what I had mentioned, actually I think it was in the draft thing, but about when we got Dom Capers, and Dom's like, look man, I need my outside linebacker, and we got Clay, I think that's one of those moments. But in general, Gutekunst goes into it and says, we're going to build a board based on good players, and that's what it is, right? We're going to look at the needs as I see them on the team, the, the talent on the, on, in the college game as I see it, and I'm going to make the picks based on that. And for me, that just seems insane. I, I, I can't imagine not talking with LaFleur and being like, all right, man, talk to me about your plans for this offense and what you're needing and, and that kind of stuff. In fact, I even <laughs> sort of did that. There was a quote, which I accidentally pasted the wrong quote in here. But the quote had something to do with, we really want, you know, athletic guards. Let me find it. All right, here's the quote from Lafleur. He said, movement ability of offensive linemen is critical in the outside zone scheme. He wants big men who can run and get off the ball quickly. This is what Lafleur had said when asked about his scheme, the outside zone scheme, and what kind of offensive linemen he finds critical. And he said, these are critical. Now, if I'm the GM, I'm listening to that, and I'm going, all right, I need answers. So what did I do? I went to Mark Jarvis, the guy I've been working with a lot for all this draft stuff, and I said, I need a name. And I quoted that tweet to him. He said, Lindstrom at guard, Bradbury at center, Jonah at tackle. He said, Drew Samia at guard in round three. Because that's just how I look at it, right? I'm, these are the kinds of things Lafleur is going to tell me, and I'm going to go back to my scouts and stuff, and I'm going to say, all right, this is what we need start finding me these guys. Because I'm not just going to look at good football players. Because I don't care. Because similar to Josh Jackson, and again, I, I 
fully expect him to take a step, and he might turn out to be a fantastic cornerback. But if I'm being told by my defensive coordinator that I need press man corners, violent hitters, killers, and I look at my board and I say, well, he doesn't fit anything that our defense is planning to actually do, but in terms of being a good football player overall, in, in other words, he was good in college playing an entirely different scheme, he's definitely the best player, so we're going to draft him. Yeah, cool, man, but um, I mean, kind of got some specifics from our coaches about what we're going to be doing, and they're not going to change for you, so maybe you should change for them. I don't know. I'm just saying. In other words, if he feels like there is this guard who's really, really good, he was awesome in college, and he's 342 pounds, and he bench presses, you know, semi-trucks, but uh, his, his, his feet don't really move much, maybe he should stay away from that kind of stuff. Because what Lafleur is going to be asking the guy to do, he can't do. And if you're wasting a second-round pick on a super-talented person who is super-talented in some capacity, but not in the capacity... In other words, he would be a pro bowler on another team, but he can't really do what Lafleur is going to ask him to do. Just don't draft the guy. Don't do it. I don't know how often those kinds of things come up, but I, I just... I. At the very least, drop him way down your draft board. And if nobody drafts this first-round talent until the third round, and maybe that is what happened with Josh Jackson and the reason he didn't go early, the reason the Packers didn't take him first, I don't know. But it's one of those situations where he should have been gone in the first round. He's still here. We got to just take a we, – we have to do it. Maybe that's all it was. I don't know. I'm just saying that, that every I hear that quote every year, and it drives me nuts. Oh, I'm not going to change very much. I don't care who the uh, the coach is. I'm the GM. I make the calls. It is what it is. He can figure it out. I hate that. Um, something else that I found interesting, it's more of just sort of a behind-the-curtain thing that I guess I didn't know. Um, basically, the, the board is already built for the Packers. They have a preliminary big board already built. Um, essentially, how this works is they, he said they, were, they had 17 meetings, so they talked extensively. I'm sure these are hours and hours of meetings. They had better be, because <laughs> there is so much stuff to pour over. But they had 17 meetings, and, and through that process, they built a preliminary board. And essentially, the process now is, after the combine, they revisit it, and they said, this is when the board is going to move the most. He said, once they reset the board, though, it's not really going to move very much. And I'm kind of shocked by that. I guess I shouldn't be, because if you've already looked at the tape, and then you have the combine, there's not a whole lot else to go on. And the few minor things, like maybe off-field things or interviews, or, or you know you bring people in for workouts... Those are the minor tweaks that they're talking about. But everything else kind of stays put. But I don't know. I just I feel like that's kind of crazy. And it, It's almost like if you ever watch those Gordon Ramsay cooking shows, like uh, Hell's Kitchen. Or not Hell's Kitchen. What's the other one? The less swearing cooking competition. MasterChef. How every single time when the clock, you know, counts down, it's like, three, two, one, and put your hands in the air. And like last minute, they're like, oh. And you know it's like camera trickery. They've probably been standing around for like three minutes. The food's cold. But they got to do that every time. I kind of feel like that's what the draft is like, or at least that's what I thought it was like in my mind. Like, they're down to the wire, like, it's it, they're getting ready to draft, and they're still like, I, I don't know, we're not ready yet, just wait, give me a minute, we, we still got to set our board here. Um, but apparently it's been done for, like, months, and and that's why whenever you see video footage of, you know, Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy, they're just kind of wandering around, like, no stress whatsoever, because they've looked at this board and poured over so many different millions of scenarios 60 billion times. It is almost kind of boring, right? They they got to make some phone calls, but even the phone calls are predetermined. And when people make trades, it's kind of like, oh, that's crazy, but we anticipated that, so we kind of move to Plan C now. 
I don't know. I found it interesting. Um, in terms of some of the free agents, uh, it sounds like there was further verification of what we had already heard about Jimmy Jimmy uh, Graham. Almost called him Jimmy Garoppolo. They talked about him in a way that would suggest that they anticipate him playing in 2019. On the other side of it, Matthews and Cobb. Um, I'd already talked about the fact that, you know, the quote-unquote sources saying that Cobb is leaving, if you follow that back, it's it's just a person's opinion. So it's not actual news. It's just opinion that's being reported as news. And that was sort of verified. And, and listen, I do think Cobb's gone. That's the reason it became news, because somebody went out and said, I think Cobb's gone, just like all of us have assumed Cobb's going to be gone for a very long time. But for some reason, the national media heard that, and they latched onto it, and they're like, Cobb's gone! And then we, in the Packerverse, and, and myself and uh, one other Packers podcaster that I heard, kind of were like, all right, guys, pump the brakes, because this is dumb. The national media just went into to brain damage mode, and we're getting caught up in it. But we hear the national media saying, it's being reported that Cobb is gone. And it's like, what? And then you have articles being written by Packers people and other Packers podcasters talking about, apparently, he's out the door. It's official now. It was never official. And uh, from Gutekunst, apparently, they are not quite ready to make that decision yet. They're just talking about it. They're just starting to discuss what to do with the free agents moving forward. So those conversations are just starting, although they're probably not happening right now because they're 100% focused on the combine. They're having conversations about trades and all these other kinds of things. I'm sure that's going to help inform their decision. And, you know, possibly for a guy like Jimmy Graham, who is supposed to be on the team, trade is, is not completely off the table, although I can't imagine anybody's going to want to take him now, especially for the amount of money we paid him. But I'm just saying, that would be the only time when these conversations also impact the guys that we have on our current roster. But bottom line is, they have not made a determination on Matthews or Cobb yet. I'm sure they all have opinions. I'm sure the conversation has come up once or twice, but official decisions have not been made. The rumors that Cobb is being cut were just bogus nonsense. But anyways, um, I'm going to kind of leave it at that. There was a little bit of news as far as some of the prospects, but um, there's going to be a lot more news, a ton more rumors, a lot more stuff about measurements because yesterday was just basically offensive linemen and specialists, punters, kickers, and nobody cares about that. But we've got a second batch of people coming in, and uh, the offensive linemen move on to phase two. So uh, tomorrow's going to be very similar to today. Probably less in terms of Packers news because I don't think Gut and Lafleur are going back up to the podium. But we'll start talking a little bit more about the combine, start talking about some of the prospects, some of the things that are, are being mentioned, you know, as far as measurables and things that maybe will impact how the Packers feel about some of these guys. And um, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. But anyways, you folks, enjoy your day. I hope you have a fantastic Thursday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>